Hello, friends, and welcome to Because CONCACAF, the podcast where we break down all the action and all the craziness from the Confederation of North and Central American and Caribbean Associations of Football. I'm Andy Lohman, here with Don Palumbo, here to recap what was a truly wild weekend for the U.S. men's national team and its rivals. The United States claimed its second straight CONCACAF Nations League title, remaining the only nation to ever win the competition. It's the third straight trophy in CONCACAF competition for the Yanks, including the 2019 Gold Cup, and it came after two truly dominant performances. A 3-0 win over Mexico in the semifinals, the biggest ever margin of victory for the U.S. over El Tri in a competitive match, and a result that ultimately cost Diego Coca his job as Mexico manager. That was followed by a 2-0 win over Canada in a match that really never felt close. All of that happened against the backdrop of the U.S. Soccer Federation making the, at best, confusing decision to bring back Greg Berhalter as head coach. Dom, what are your biggest takeaways from what we saw in Las Vegas? We're good, man. We're really, really good. And Mexico is in absolute shambles. Um, We'll get into it as we go, but I think it was pretty shocking and a little jarring to see how big the delta was between our best and the rest of the region's best. Um, I mean, you could say Canada may may have been missing a few dudes. Mexico is definitely missing two of their better players. But, I mean, come on, man. (laughs) Five-nothing over two competitive matches against the only two teams that come close to us. And we wrecked them without Tyler Adams. In game two, we destroyed Canada without three first-team, first-choice players. The Delta is insane. We'll get into it later about maybe what that means, why it's that large. But um, we dominated so much. I told you last night, I almost didn't know how to feel excited. I didn't really know what I was feeling um, other than 9 million emotions. So that, I guess we'll just start there. I mean, I was pretty clear about how I felt. I was ecstatic. I was amped. I mean... We have not seen a level of dominance like that, I think, maybe ever. Uh, I mean, especially statistically playing against Mexico. I mean, like you said, 5-0 over two matches. None of them ever felt close. Absolutely domination. I mean, I think we went into the tournament feeling confident in the U.S.'s chances, feeling good about where the roster was. I don't think either of us expected that level. Um. I mean, it, it makes you excited for the future and what this team is capable of doing. I think the of the many players worthy of praise, uh, I mean, the big headline coming in was Florin Balogun, uh, and he lived up to the hype. Uh, you know, in that Mexico match, truly a baptism by fire in the world of CONCACAF. He didn't do a ton. Um, honestly, his most notable contribution was getting – completely hacked by Cesar Montez, which immediately led to a red card, which then led to a brawl, which then led to Weston McKinney's shirt getting ripped off of him and him getting a red card. Um, But, you know, coming out in the final, I think once he got that, you know, he just barely joined this team. Once you get that match under your belt, started playing with the guys, getting the chemistry going, you really saw what he was capable of. His goal was the second goal. Chris Richards had the first both guys scoring their first goal for the national team in a cup final, which is 
so first cool. times that had ever happened. Yeah. Chris yeah, Richards was happened. the first and Balligan was the second. Within what, 20 minutes of each other? His, uh, yeah, give or take. What he did on that goal was subtly super impressive to me. The the tactical awareness to make the run that he did. I mean, and Gio Reyna did a really good job of playing the ball to him as well. But he gets inside the defender, the body control to get himself in a position to take that strike as First powerfully time. as he did. First time. Yeah, I mean, and, and he smacked it past Borion. I mean, it was that moment. It's like, oh, man, like we, we have a number nine. And not only do we have a number, we have two number nines because Ricardo Pepe, um, I mean, he played great coming on as a sub in, in both games, scored the third goal against Mexico. That was kind of the glaring weakness when we were at the World Cup was, man, this roster is great. We just can't score goals. Oh, we got two dudes now, you know, that can score goals. It seems like the possibilities are endless. Uh, I'm amped. I'm so excited. I'm going to counter a point you made uh, earlier and say I I thought Ballo played fine against Mexico. I mean, I think you can say, oh, he had to get his feet under him. He didn't score. He didn't do this. He didn't do that. But his mere presence and and his movement – off the ball for sure. is, is what opened up Pulisic for the first one, him dragging two defenders into the middle of the box is what allowed the second goal. Um, his link up play and his ability to hold up the ball while also being able to take defenders on off the dribble, like just having him there opened up so much of what we were able to do and create in that first half. I mean, I, man, I don't ever think I've seen a U.S. men's national team absolutely pummel a decent to good team like that. I want to say ever, I mean, I would argue maybe for 70 minutes against Germany's B team in 2013 in a friendly, maybe, maybe. But in um, a competitive match, when a, a trophy's I on mean, the line against a rival, like it's that it this weekend felt like it, we reached a new level. Well, I mean, Ryan Rosenblatt's tweet just has been speaking to me all weekend. I said, he goes, I said this after the U.S. men's national team beat Mexico in Cincinnati, and I feel this way now. It's so weird seeing them take it to El Tree. Even when they would beat Mexico for years, it was always with the counterpunch. They straight up take it to Mexico now. It's so jarring and wonderful. And I think that's where a lot of my emotions come from. Um, you brainwashed me, as I said in the last episode, in like 09, 2010. So I'd say I'm roughly on like year 13, 14 of really being both a fan of and following this national team. And even a decade ago, in September of 2013, when we beat Mexico 2 nothing in Columbus to qualify for that World Cup, even then, that was a match where Mexico dominated a lot of the ball. They had, I would say, a lion's share of like the really good opportunities in that match. 
And we won 2-0 because we defended our faces off, took advantage of a set piece off of Eddie Johnson, countered them when we needed to. And honestly, it should have been 3-4-0. or Clint Dempsey misses a PK late. But even that match, we didn't take it to L-Tree. It still felt like they were the much better team and we just had the better game plan going into that match. Whereas recently, even in qualifying, we smoked them in Cincy and should have smoked them in Azteca, right? Under Jurgen Klinsmann, under Bruce Arena, we're like hanging on for dear life just to get draws on the road. Two years ago, I'm we're leaving, or I guess March of 2022, we leave Azteca and I'm begging for three points and I don't understand how we didn't get three points. And I'm frustrated that we didn't get three points. And so all that being said, it's been emotionally jarring to know that we're not only better than Mexico, we're like better than them by quite a bit. So many different matchups in the USA Mexico match felt like they were just dominated by the U S one that stands out to me, Christian Pulisic played on a completely different level. He just loves playing and beating Mexico, which if that doesn't make you Captain America for this team, I don't know what does. I mean, he had the classic, you know, the main and the mirror celebration um, after the comments. I, I, was it Guillermo Ochoa that said it, that he yeah. basically saying that the U.S. views Mexico as the mirror that they, you know, kind of measure themselves up to, which – to everything you just said, certainly not the case anymore. I mean, he comes out, he has a brace in this match within 50 minutes. He was absolutely smoking Jorge Sanchez the entire game. Sanchez had zero answer to him. He got up and down the wing. He cut inside. He was cutting in on his right. I mean, he had a good chance, you know, early on that he ended up skying. The first goal he gets, I mean, is kind of a disaster from the Mexico back line. And he pounces on the ball. Pounce on the loose ball, gets the far post finish past Ochoa. You know, early in the second half, Tim Weah. Tim Weah is another guy who had a phenomenal weekend. But McKinney springs him along the right wing. Weah puts in great a great ball. ball. Great Pulisic's ball. six there to finish it. I mean, Diego Coca came out. They had, a, they had a five-man back line, you know, with kind of the three center backs and your two wing backs. I, that did not work for them at all. Way and Pulisic had – whatever they wanted that entire game. I mean, I, I think not only is the talent level, you know, a wide gap right now in Mexico, I think got it completely wrong tactically, which I think also is why our boy Diego no longer has a job. Um, and then like offensively for Mexico, I mean, they had nothing going. Henry Martins started for them. I don't know that he had a shot. If he did, it wasn't a good one. I couldn't have told you who Henry Martin was sure. other than the fucker that broke uh, Gio Reyna's nose. That right? was Antuna. Sure. 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 Who also did not. Antuna had a shocker. He had a horrible game. Um, should have been red carded like 17 times, yeah. just like McKinney and Dest and everybody else. But I mean, I think Mexico fans are pissed that Santi Jimenez – didn't start. And then you saw it in the third place match. Jimenez and Julian Araujo both started and both were crucial in the goal that they scored pretty early on. I think it was like the fourth minute. And then they held on. I mean, Panama almost, Panama almost beat them. They had a goal called back off sides 
That was incredible. Anibal Godoy plays for Nashville and MLS. Had a bike off of like the set play off a of free kick, which was incredible. I don't know where the offside was that it got called back for. Um, so, I mean, even the third place for Mexico was like sketchy at best. But yeah, I mean, this is the, uh, I mean, up and down the field, I thought the U.S. men's national team was, was so, so impressive in that game and in Canada too. All right. Well, I feel like we could talk at length about the U.S. Should we just really quickly recap the entire weekend that was in Vegas? Um, and then we can get into some of the other piping hot storylines from the weekend. Yeah. Um, mentioned it earlier. Or actually, I don't even think we mentioned the first game of, of the weekend. Canada takes down Panama 2-0. Um, honestly, I couldn't even tell you who scored. For, for Canada, for each of their goals. Jonathan David first, maybe? Yeah, it was David. So, Kamal Miller. Kamal uh, Miller. Future Lionel Messi teammate at Inter-Miami. Plays a pretty tasty through ball. David gets in for the nutmeg goal. We are big nutmeg oh, fans yes. on this podcast. Yes. Oh, and then uh, Alfonso um, Davies roofs it in the second half, like, yeah. what, 10 minutes after coming on? Not even. I mean, it was interesting because, you know, Canada went up early. Panama, I think Panama showed some quality this weekend. Um, but I think Canada was definitely the better team than them. They, they had so many attacking options. Similar to the U.S. against Mexico, Canada really got whatever they wanted on the wings. Tejan Buchanan was doing a lot. Um, yeah, and then Davies came on the second half. You know, he's coming back from injury. He subs on, and you can just tell he's such a world-class player because he completely changed the dynamic of that game as soon as he came on. I mean, yeah, his finish, I mean, he blasted it near post upper 90 and that that pretty much put it away mm -hmm. at that point what was interesting to me like Canada looked you know much the better team in that game you get to the final they did not look like that at all like it looked like a completely different team I mean another player we're gonna have to shout out Joe Scally did a phenomenal job so Gino Dest you know gets a red card in the Mexico game I, we should also talk about the red cards in the Mexico game. We'll get it. We'll get into that later. Let's recap the whole weekend. Tell That's the people at home what actually happened. So Canada, U.S. play in the final. Mexico, Panama go down to third place. We touched on the third place match. Mexico gets an early goal. Panama, I honestly probably gets robbed of an equalizer to potentially take it to PKs. Um, I would assume Panama wins in PKs if it gets that far. Um, it doesn't get that far. Mexico ends up walking away with a bronze medal. Moving on to the final, I'm going to preface this with a question. What happened to Canada in that match? Why did the U.S. look so much more dominant? And how big do you think the gap is between Canada and the U.S. versus the gap between Canada and, say, a team like Panama? That's a good question. I think, I think Canada is still very solidly – at this point, the number two team in the region. Like, I think they're easily better than Mexico. I think Panama, although they were clearly the fourth best team that played this weekend, I think still impressed me to a good bit. I, th I think that's a team that's going to make some noise at the Gold Cup. I think that's a team that could make the semifinals. If a team is sleeping, you know, maybe they get third, maybe they get into the final. Maybe make the knockouts of Copa America in two years, potentially. Sure. Like, I mean, I think what Th Thomas Christensen is doing with that team is pretty impressive. What one player that stand stood out to me for Panama was Adalberto Carasquia, uh, central midfielder, uh, plays plays his club ball with Houston Dynamo. Shout out to Ben Olsen. Was he number eight? 
number yeah. eight. Yeah, yeah. yeah, baller. He was. I mean, he was everywhere. He used the whole engine for them, and he's pulling the strings there. I mean, he he stood he stood out really easily. I was impressed by him. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think that's a team that is trending upwards. I think Canada is not. I don't think it's panic mode for Canada right now. I mean, I think the U.S. is just that good. Like, I don't even think it's a Canada, you know, underperforming situation. But it, like, the, I think the gap between U.S. and Canada, U.S. and everyone in the region right now is pretty pretty wide. large. I mean, like. Alfonso Davies, back to my earlier point, neutralized by Joe Scally. Uh, Scally playing for Serginio Dest. Dest got a red card kind of late in that Mexico game when shit went off the rails a little bit. To go on a tangent of a tangent, I think that's another thing that showed through in that USA-Mexico match. Mexico completely lost their composure. Once they went down to nothing, I mean, it was... They lost their mind. Like I mean, it was it turned into like the most cockacafy game. Okay, okay, fine. I'm gonna stop you. I'm gonna take you. You used the verb, a verb that we like to use often. Cockacafy. It's an adjective. But please, ex- sorry, adjective. My bad, man. It's been a long day. Please now explain to the listeners at home why in the hell is the name of our podcast. Because Concacaf, and if you could, please define it. If I had to <laughs> define because Concacaf, I mean it is a region. That... No, 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 no. It would be the USA Mexico match. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And it's everything of just like super questionable officiating, like shit housery from players, red cards flying around, like. Bad pitches, uh, just chaotic games, like weird international relations having an effect like on sports. It's just like the the weirdest corner of the like footballing world. And I just love it so much because I love chaos and CONCACAF produces chaos or at or such 20. a high rate. And, and that match, I mean, when you finish 9v9 in like a cup semifinal. Yes. Like that's kind of ridiculous. And I thought the red cards for the USA were soft, McKinney and Dest, because they were basically defending themselves, probably by the rule of the law, I I I guess. By Mexico, I mean completely lost. And that's the other thing about the USA Canada match. It's like, okay, all right, you finish the semifinal, you win, but you're down to World Cup starters, guys who are playing at top clubs in Europe. Like shit, man, like is that gonna bite us? And it didn't. Joe Scally steps in, shuts down Alfonso Davies. Uh, I was expecting Luca Della Torre to start for McKinney. Uh, BJ Callahan, national team legend at this point, BJ <laughs> Callahan. BJ Callahan's cheeseburger egg rolls and all. He's not the step coach. He's the coach that stepped up. <laughs> and he starts Brendan Aronson instead. And that works really well, too. Uh, I think Aronson's. Aronson's work rate. I mean, the dude is just an energizer bunny. He just never stops. He's just running around so constantly. Well, this morning it's funny. This morning I was listening to uh, Jimmy Conrad's podcast, and he he was talking about that decision in that likely, or it was him and Heath Pierce, and they were discussing how. <laughs> 
it's likely Callahan made that decision because he wanted to take risks this weekend and he wanted to play as many attacking players and put as many attacking players on the field as humanly possible. And while De La Torre is great in possession, he can oftentimes hold up play a little too much and be honestly just slow on the ball. Like he's not often going to lose possession, but he's not really going to create much. It's kind of your classic six that is likely going to prefer to pass it backwards rather than continue to progress the ball. Whereas Aronson is almost like, I don't even want to say a poor man's, but him and Musa are very similar and that their first touch is always going to be forward. Um, and what I found fascinating was at certain points in the final, so I'm completely running on a tangent here away from you, and I, I apologize, but it was fascinating watching Aronson tuck in deep with Musa at times, almost as a double pivot, and they just let Reyna kind of act as a pure number 10, which I feel like is something that, as U.S. men's national team fans, we have been like yelling for and screaming for since he's been a regular in the national team and getting to see that just kind of naturally play itself out um, was not only really enjoyable, but that's what kind of made my mouth water a little bit watching last night. Um, We're recording on Monday, June 19th for those listening. I think this will be out hopefully on Tuesday. Anyway, that's what made my mouth water because it was everything we've been clamoring for as a fan base. And we finally saw it and saw a coach that basically just said, fuck it, go cook. And the players stepped up. Now, my only thing is I don't know how sustainable that is. I think it's regular that you see a team perform really well under an interim coach early on because they want to perform. There's a lot of motivation to perform because they may like the coach. Whether people are saying, oh, just give Callahan the job. I, I don't necessarily know if that's the right decision. Um, the Gold Cup, I think, will be very telling for whether or not maybe that could be or should have been a possibility. Um, but it was nice to see a coach take risks and allow his best players to do what they do best. Sorry, I don't even know what the original question was. I still don't think we've defined what because CONCACAF even means. And, but anyway. I think they got the point. I think another <laughs> in, interesting layer to that midfield situation, without Tyler Adams, who was out this this tournament with injury, Eunice Musa really had to play that number six role against Canada, which he hasn't really had to do before. I mean, he's more of kind of a number eight box-to-box, like you said, ball progressor. I thought he did really well in that number six role. Um, I agree. And so, like, to have – so you have that ability now where, like, you have McKenney's the box-to-box guy. Tyler Adams can hold it down. But now, you know, Musa can hold it down. He has that versatility. So you have the MMA trio, you know, that started the World Cup, McKenney, Musa, Adams. But now you have Reyna, like you said, as the number 10 possibility. I thought he was phenomenal centrally. I mean, I mean he had two assists. Um right out of the gate. I, I just, the, the visions that he has, the technical ability. Uh, I mean, he, he had both assists in the final. I mean, it was a corner kick on Richard's goal. He played Balogun in. It's, I, 
you have decisions to make now because if you want the front line of Pulisic, Balogun, Wea, which I think you do, then like so, one of those dudes has to sit out in the midfield unless you get you really leave out the formation. But no, who do you leave out? Because I don't even think I don't even necessarily think you can leave out Anthony Robinson and Serginio Dest. I thought um, I thought Jedi Robinson. He was phenomenal. Super, super good this yeah. weekend. And I think you and I, I – thought the whole back line was great. They were. And it, it, it was awesome watching Walker Zimmerman just casually step in for an injured Miles Robinson and didn't miss a beat. Back yeah. line, if anything, improved. Um, he, at one point, he almost scored oh a my volley God. off oh a corner kick. <laughs> I almost lost my mind. Like Walker Zimmerman, like if Walker Zimmerman is scoring volley goals from like to like we're gonna win the World Cup. Like that was I was that was nuts. I mean, but yeah, I mean Chris Richards, who hadn't got a ton of national team playing time up until this point. I think his stock is skyrocketing. Obviously, he scored the goal, but defensively he was great too. Rob, like you said, Anthony Robinson, there were several moments where he was, you know, the backside defender. The attack is coming down the other way. And he came in and stepped in and, and made clearances and made interceptions that were crucial to stop, you know, Canada getting scoring chances. Just like the, the vision those guys have, and it seems like the chemistry they're having right now. I know I keep harping on, but like Joe Scally was just up and down the wing. He's dynamic. He's athletic. Serginio Dest was putting on an and one mixtape. He was at peak Serginho Dest like sauce levels. Uh he set up yeah, he set up the Pepe goal against Mexico. Yes. And he basically undressed. by just like, taking on the entire Mexico left Team. flank. And the, yeah, like you said, undressing them and you know, playing a perfect ball for Pepe. And then Pepe had some nice composure. I mean, he basically head faked his way around Ochoa to tap a into 90 year old memo Ochoa. Yeah. <laughs> um yeah, I mean, the center back depth we have right now, I mean, we had two, like, the Zimmerman-Richards pairing was phenomenal, just won a trophy. That's without Tim Ream, and that's without Miles Robinson. And that's John Brooks is still alive. Man, like, I don't know. I don't know what he did. I don't know whose wife he boned. I don't know. It. Hey, man, hell, maybe he saw – Greg Berhalter back in like 1991 kick his wife. I don't know. I don't know what he did or what dirt he has on somebody, but it's getting real old because because he is a good fucking player. And yet we keep giving Aaron Long starts. Aaron Long will start at the Gold Cup. He will start against Jamaica on Saturday. He will. You know he will. What, I Unless mean, BJ Callahan's chooses not to. One element, I mean, Robinson, Miles Robinson did end up picking up a knock. Brooks was on the preliminary roster. So I'm hoping, and this is probably a long shot, that if Robinson can't go, and honestly, you probably don't want him to, he already played a ton of minutes. If you just bring in Brooks and then give him, it'll a be an Aaron Long shot because Aaron Long is going to start <laughs> against Jamaica. Greg Berhalter's the coach again. It may be Callahan's roster, but this is still Greg Berhalter's team. 
Regarding on the subject of Miles Robinson, though, someone had a great stat in 380 competitive minutes. Mexico has never scored when Miles Robinson is on the field. Yes, because he's that good. Incredible. Yes. All right. Okay. The end of the day, U.S. wins the Nations League. Canada second. Mexico barely third. Panama fourth. I think I do want to touch real quick on Panama. We've mentioned it a few times. Likely the fourth best team in the region. But I think there was a level of... Honestly, like, like they were impressive. I mean, I know they didn't technically score. We're on, being honest. They did score against Mexico, and it got called back. But even though they didn't score, I, I felt like they showed flashes of real quality. Um, they had a couple really, really solid chances against Canada to tie that thing before halftime that they couldn't take advantage of. Had a, had a couple opportunities out of the gate of the second half. Um Unfortunately, kind of the longer the match went without them scoring, it felt like it was even longer of a shot that they were going to score. Um, but I, I I think what's happening down there, even though the Panama Revenge Tour didn't actually happen, um, I, I do think they showed a, a lot of flashes of, of being a really, really, really good club and a really, really good program. I'm not sure how much you agree with that, but I'd love to hear your thoughts, uh, Sir Dre. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, I mean, like I said, Karaskia, I thought was the standout player for me, though. Godoy did not have a great game against Canada, but I thought he was good in the third-place match. Um, if those two in the central midfield can combine and play at a high level, I mean, they're going to be dangerous. Um, in the third-place match, their center backs had a couple really nice plays that I took note of. Fidel Escobar and Roderick Miller both were – faced with kind of tough situations to defend as Mexico was attacking and each made, you know, kind of like nice diving blocks in situations where it's like half the time you see it as an, as an own goal, but kept it under control. Um, Their goalie made a nice save at one point, Mejia um, on Chavez. Yeah. I mean, I, I think you can see, you know, the, the, the pieces coming together for them. I, it's going to be really interesting Gold Cup to see what they can do, especially in that group with Costa Rica. Um, yeah, it's weird. Like, so Mexico wins, you know, third place. But if you're Panama, you're probably coming away a lot more optimistic than Mexico is out of this tournament. I mean, you're not firing your coach. So that's one thing. Well, that seems like as good of a segue as anything. Um, I'll preface this with, U.S. wins Nations League. Mexico does not. Um, Both have had very, very different head coach situations over the last six months or so. Um, And they are now going in completely opposite directions, I guess even farther than they were before Nations League. Um, With the U.S. uh, hiring, rehiring, bringing back, retaining, Greg Burhalter and Mexico ultimately firing Diego Coca after uh, the Panama match. Um, actually, this morning they they got rid of him. Um, what what in the hell does this say about the state of both programs? Um, and what does it say that they've gone and completely taken completely opposite approaches to this? Yet both searches were like 
equally chaotic. And hey, according to Charlie Davies, if it wasn't for women, we'd probably oh, have Pep Guardiola as our head coach. <sighs> <laughs> Sorry, it had to come up, man. We're going to talk about the Paramount Plus absolute disaster track this weekend in a bit. But anyway, let's start with <laughs> coaching changes. I feel obligated. Look, I love Charlie Davies. I, he was a great player for the national team, great player for DC United. I don't think he meant that with malicious intent. I, th- I mean, he was very excitable throughout the weekend. He was very wrong about that. The The women's national team and their fight for equity is not the reason we did not hire Pep Guardiola. That's just insane on the face of it. Um, But it, the interesting thing about him saying that, I think there was a tiny kernel of truth in there that a lot of people overlook is that budget is a real factor in national team searches. Like federations don't have the same revenue that a club team is going to have. You don't see the top level coaches like Pep Guardiola is never going to coach a national team. Jurgen Klopp is never going to coach a national team. It's just unrealistic. Like you're, it's always going to be kind of a, you know, B tier seat. I can't even remember the Argentina manager's name and they just won a world cup. Because it ideally doesn't matter. We'll get into right. I'm going to get into that in about 10 minutes, but continue. So, so here's my, here's my like too long didn't read take on the Greg situation. Not the hire I would have made. Certainly not the process I would have gone about hiring a manager. But the lukewarm take is that ultimately it's probably going to be fine. Like, I think we're probably, at, like, after what we just saw this weekend, we're probably too good. Like, it doesn't really matter a ton, right? I hope, hopefully I'm not, like, putting the cart in front of the horse here. I, I think, also, U.S. Men's National Team Twitter is just such a toxic place at the moment. And there's so many tinfoil hat things getting thrown around all the time. and Like, like oh, there's an MLS quota. There, there's a concept that I love that I think is really relevant for the situation. I don't know if you've heard of it. It's called Hanlon's Razor. And that is never attribute to malice that which is adequately explained by stupidity. That's what's happening here. Like, I don't think anyone is acting I maliciously. I, I hate you. <laughs> it's just we have an incredible, this was an incredibly stupid process. And the outcome was stupid. And it would have looked a lot less stupid if we had just extended him after the world. Like, if that's what we were going to do, that's fine. Like, I don't know if a ton of people would have been thrilled about it, but a lot of people probably would have just accepted it and said, okay, like, you know, we were relatively successful at the World Cup. Fine. We'll just keep the good vibes rolling. You you go through the whole rigmarole of, like, okay, we're not going to extend him. The Rainagate thing drops. You're hiring 100 executives who have identical titles and no one knows what they do. You go through this whole process just to hire the same guy. Like, it's it's so dumb, but it's probably fine. It it reminded me a lot of college athletics, where athletic directors will like pull down crazy six figure salaries, and their deputy ads will pull down crazy six figure salaries, and like the people who actually do the work in athletic departments are understaffed and underpaid. And then they go out and hire a consulting firm for like a head football coach or head basketball coach and search. 
just for that consulting firm to tell them the three most obvious names that like the entire message boards knew anyways. And everyone just like passed themselves on the back for a job well done. It, it's and it's probably it's a dynamic that it, I'm sure is not exclusive to sports either. Like I'm, there's a lot of organizations where you just have like really top heavy nonsense and it ends up in like overwrought processes like this. That's all to say. I mean, I I'm not a huge Greg fan, but I will. There are pros that he brings. And I think the biggest one and arguably one of the most important things you can do as a national team manager is culture. The vibes are immaculate right now with the U S men's national team. I think that Mexico game was a really good example of that. Those dudes are fighting. They're passionate. They're standing up for each other. I will take Weston McKinney and Serginio desk getting red carded for standing up for their boys and going to war and like putting the badge over everything. Like, Yes, give that to me. Like that's so important. The the Instagram lives of them like celebrating in the locker room afterwards were electric. They're yes, like yes. Bowl, they're bowling Christian Pulisic into like champagne bottle bowling pins. Like Christian Pulisic is hiding a Bud Light and saying that the vibes are the fruit cup that he's eating. Yeah. That was on Timothy Wayo's uh, live, and it was hysterical. They're like. They're singing like Brazilian songs with like Johnny Cardoso, who like got like all of four minutes. But like I, that's so cool to me too. Like all of the dual national guys and the guys that are like coming in recently, even with like Flo Balogun, like it seems like. And granted, we're all looking at it from the outside. It seems like such a welcoming atmosphere, and everyone is all in. And that's not always a given. Like the 2018 shit was not like that. It was the other end of the spectrum, and even in 2014. I don't think he really felt that cohesion. The best U.S. men's national teams have been able to punch above their weights in like the early 2000s because of this kind of drive and spirit and grit. Just like if you just could take Clint Dempsey down to just like the essence of Clint Dempsey, it's like that Like that kind of got us, you know, to the quarterfinals in 02 and got us to the Fed Cup finals. We have that back now. Like, that's such a fun thing to have just on its own. And you take that and you put it on top of just the absurd talent and absurd depth that we have right now. And I'm not going to give Greg all the credit for that, but he probably gets some. And I think, like... He was the coach when it happened. Yeah. Like, if we're going to blame him... Sorry, never mind. I'll, I'll get into that in a minute. Continue. So I think that's a pro. Another pro... The style of play improved under him. I mean, we were a bunker encounter team for basically our entire existence. We played a lot more possession based. We looked like the dominant team, and we're taking it to England in the World Cup. There's a lot of room for improvement there, specifically creating chances. Although I think the Balagoon Pepe striker probably solved some of that. The recruitment of dual nationals continued under him. You know, he got us out of the World Cup group stage. He won two trophies. Like, there are pros there. Now, there is still a list of things that will have to improve under him. And, like, it is not negotiable. And I think people are kind of doom scrolling on Twitter right now and just assuming that they're not going to change. But I actually feel optimistic that they will. Squad selection is the number one thing. I mean, you alluded to Aaron Long. 
I think a lot of people are not thrilled with how much Aaron Lawn and Christian Roldan and like Sebastian Legit that we get. And that's fair. And I share those frustrations. But right now, I there's no like even the World Cup roster, like people like, oh, he's playing too many MLS guys. How many MLS guys played at the World Cup? And if they did, how many minutes did they get? Like it's Walker Zimmerman and then like a handful of minutes to Jordan Morris off the bench. Like, I don't think any reasonable person, Greg included, looks at our player pool right now and doesn't just roll out the same 11 that we saw at the Nations. Like, I think those problems are going to solve themselves. The tactics, you know, getting more goal scoring opportunities is huge. I would love if we just gave BJ Callahan a bag to stay on as an assistant to I keep agree. that going. Cause like, I mean, like he, I mean, he put a nice, you know, tape together for himself and a nice resume. And there's probably gonna be some MLS teams calling, but like you got to keep him in house. Right. Well, and he's still got a gold cup to manage too. Right. Which we can get into on Wednesday when we record the gold cup preview podcast, just a teaser for everybody. <laughs> so for me, like the, the two things, the three things that really have to improve under Greg, it's squad selection, it's tactics slash in-game adjustments. And then the, the Gio Reyna relationship. I mean, he's got to mend that bridge. That's between those two, you know, as men, but he's such an important player for us. Like, he can't not be involved. And it seems like, I mean, clearly the team doesn't have any beef with him. Like, they were getting along perfectly fine this weekend as he is, you know, racking up assists and goal contributions. Um, I, I think you have some thoughts on this too, but I think, I think Copa America is going to be the measuring stick for him. And I think the world cup is in 2026. That's what his legacy is. Okay. I'm going to counter your rant with a rant of my own. So I'm going to be, I'm going to be, I'm going to begin this by saying and agreeing with you that triple G is not the higher that I would make either. Um, he's not, he, he is, he's done a lot of good for, for this country and for this program and for this federation. Um, I think continuing to harp on how good his win percentage is, um, is a little disingenuous. Um, I think COVID allowed a lot of that to happen rather than being able to play friendlies against some of the best teams in the world. I think we were forced to play Trinidad and Tobago, Panama, Honduras, way more often just because of how the world was. I mean, there was a period there in 2021 leading into 2022 where the only matches we were playing were against CONCACAF competition, which was Nations League, Gold Cup, and then straight into qualifying, right? So, like, I think think there's some things that you have to take with a grain of salt and look at with some context. Um, But to your point... He created a culture that I think we're seeing grow and develop right in front of our eyes. And Jimmy, I listened to Jimmy Conrad this weekend say, well, could you say that that would have been created anyway? If you're going to blame him for bad things that happen, you have to give him credit for good things that happen. And what I'll say is every fucking player that puts on that goddamn crest cares and they want to be there and they have a desire to be there. He, he reinvigorated Paul Ariola's career with the national team. 
He didn't get to go to the World Cup, but God damn it, Paul Ariola was a big reason why we went, was a big reason why we won that Gold Cup in 2021. Every single player that gets to wear the jersey does so with a pride that I I don't know if you could say has been a thing since the 94 World Cup. Truly, like every single dude that wears the damn jersey wants to be there. They fight for each other. They care for each other. And that shit matters. And whether or not it would have happened anyway, Greg deserves credit for making those guys believe and fight for one another. So I'm going to preface everything I'm going to say with that. Second, working in college athletics has made me hate fans and hate Twitter. I... I, Dom Palumbo, got called out on the Charlotte message boards because I wasn't tweeting shit correctly when I worked over there last the last two years. <laughs> Me. They, they People, figured your name out? Yes. Name. <laughs> headshot. Throwing me in the message board saying, why can't he tweet like this? God damn it. All right. So I'm going to say this. People have no clue what goes into a coaching search and what makes a job attractive to a candidate, right? So the example I'm going to use is when I was at Tennessee as a graduate assistant, my, my, my last semester, we had gone through a shit ton of turmoil. Jeremy Pruitt gets fired. Coach Philip Fulmer gets fired as our AD for recruiting violations out the ass the football program is in shambles we gave this man a three million dollar contract extension to go three and seven in the covid year the job was a mess the fan base was lost it was it was a terrible job with a new ad and no clue what the resources were going to be we interviewed 14 candidates for the head coach head football coach position 14 and you know how many said no 13 the final choice is the man that is the head coach now, Josh Heupel. For those that don't know, current Tennessee AD Danny White came from UCF. Where, where was Josh Heupel coaching before he took the Tennessee job? UCF. What are the optics? Oh, he hired his friend. Oh, he hired, we paid $3 million just for a guy to hire a search firm to, to bring in the same guy. Yeah, man, because nobody wanted the job. And it's the same shit here. You you can hit me with all the sketchy shit that may have gone on during the job search. And you may be right. But what I'm going to tell you is we're a country that's hosting the World Cup. We're hosting a Copa America. We have a really strong generation of players that brings a massive amount of expectation. And that expectation likely comes with pay because of the budget that may not reflect the amount of work that needs to be put in to get this team where it needs to be. The number of job candidates that probably said no to an interview is probably more than you and I and anybody listening can even fathom. So at the end of the day, when you get three finalists in the room based on some dumb criteria who is likely going to match what you want? The guy that you already have. I'm not saying it's right. I'm not saying it's clean, but I'm saying it happened. And, and we are tripping if we think that this job and this team and this program is entitled to a coach like a Pep Guardiola or a Jurgen Klopp. 
we are tripping balls if we think that's what we deserve, man. I would we don't even deserve Gareth Southgate, to be honest with you. And that dude made some of the most fascinating decisions at the World Cup that I've ever seen with the level of talent that England has, right? Greg is our manager because he was always going to be our manager because given the situation and the timeline, he was the only man for the job. Moving in and moving on. Also, I can't imagine the threat of blackmail from the Reina family made that a more desirable job for outside candidates. Oh, fuck no. Right. You've got all these internal issues. Who's going to say yes to that? Yeah. So if anything, I'd prefer you go with the guy that the players want and that already has the culture established rather than taking a chance on somebody and it blowing up in your face because they have no idea the level of shithousery that they're walking into, right? I just like explain to me why it took six months to get there. Because there's red tape everywhere. The Federation is a disaster. That's why. But you know what? We're just going to deal with it because at the end of the day, they probably made the right decision. And at the end of the day, the lukewarm take is probably going to come to fruition. It's probably going to be fine. And this leads me to my next point. Like, yes, did Greg make some tactical decisions that were not good at the World Cup? Yeah. Has he played some dudes that probably shouldn't have even sniffed the men's national team? Yes. Is he going to keep doing it? Probably. Right. But here's the thing. Fans love to just forget shit. It's like politics. We just spout out whatever is going to fit our fucking narrative. It's all we're going to do. He didn't play Gio Reyna the World Cup. Yeah, man. Because very clearly, Gio Reyna wasn't fucking mature enough. Right. We watch Gio Reyna now, and we say, God, if he had played at the World Cup, it would have been different. Well, that Gio Reyna wasn't going to show up at the World Cup. That Gio Reyna didn't exist in November of 2022. Because guess what happens? Fucking development. Like you and I worked in athlete- in college athletics for 15, 20 years combined, if you count our time as students, right? Why did we enjoy our job so much? Because we got to watch young people develop and get better and grow And then watching that development come to fruition on the playing surface and watching them succeed at a level that they couldn't have before is what made our jobs rewarding at the time. And the same goes for now, man. The Weston McKinney at the World Cup is not the Weston McKinney now. The Christian Pulisic at the World Cup is not the Christian Pulisic now. Everybody has gotten fucking better. Ricardo Pepe was not the Ricardo Pepe we see now before the World Cup in 2022. And I'm not I'm not saying that to like blatantly defend Greg Berhalter or say that he's the world's greatest manager or coach, but god damn it, you got to remember the average age of this team is like 15 We're at the so last World young. Cup. And all of that experience is going to is only going to help Moving forward into Copa America next summer, moving into another couple of Nations Leagues that we've probably got to play through, and then moving into the ultimate competition, which is the World Cup in 2026. Like, I think, I think that's another kind of undercurrent of 
why I'm so optimistic and why I'm so just happy and ecstatic about the current state of the national team, regardless of who the coach is. We're so young. We're so young. Oh, we got Half three more. Were... We have three more cycles, ideally, with this yeah. core of players. Pepe was born in 2003. Oh, that's alarming. Like, Musa and Scally are 20. Like, we are so young, and the, the ceilings are so high, and the like you said, the room for growth is so high. Like, we're already a pretty formidable team, and it can only, it's only going to get better from here. I, with everything that has gone down, and as frustrated as I am with the more of the process of the Greg hire than the Greg hire itself. Like it doesn't really like, I'm not letting that ruin what is an amazing moment for us right now. Like we are playing such good soccer. We're playing such fun soccer. We're playing such winning soccer. Like, sure. I'll go on a rant about Greg, but it's fine. Like, it's fine. Like if you, and there are like, I see, and I probably am just on the internet too much, but people who, can't just be happy in this moment for all the good things that are happening right now. You have to go touch grass. Like if you are anything besides just as fucking amped as I am right now, like I think you're crazy. Like we are in such a good spot. Well, and, and like, yes, did Greg do what all the other managers have done? Yeah. Like we can look at his record in context, right? We didn't play the best teams in the world because we couldn't because a global pandemic kind of ruined that. Right. But at the end of the day, like he made 2019 Gold Cup final. He won the CONCACAF Nations League in 2021. He won the Gold Cup right after that. Qualified for the World Cup, got out of the group, got a result against one of the favorites to win the World Cup in England. Like, Again, I'm not saying he's the world's greatest guy. I I wish I was ready for him to move on because while he did all of those great things, I wanted to see some new ideas. I wanted to see a fresh face come in and provide uh, ideally a a fresh shot of enthusiasm and tactics to the team. But we don't get that. At the end of the day, it's probably going to be fine because like I feel like we keep mentioning like we have the quality now and at the end of the day coaches make decisions based on the information that they have and had at the time like again we keep we keep acting like the ricardo pepe that scored two goals at grenada a goal against el salvador and the third against mexico was the same ricardo pepe all through qualifying He had two really strong performances at Honduras and at home against Jamaica, and he was largely absent the rest of the way. And that wasn't without him entering the lineup. He was in the 11 a good bit. Didn't really do much the rest of the qualifying cycle. Um, I I continue to go on a tangent. Like, yes. I mean, he he was not in form going into the World Cup. And to be fair, Jesus Ferreira was. And Jesus Ferreira – is having a good season for FC Dallas and MLS and gets 10 goals. Uh, I'll be interested to see if he can stick around and like become that level. I mean, I, th- I mean, you and I were talking about earlier, like it'd be nice if Jesus Freire is just like the solid number three guy. Like if, if Balogun or, or uh, Pepe ever gets hurt, he can slot into the backup role. Yeah. I mean, 
I guess Josh Sargent still exists. <laughs> sure. And and he could come on. Like at the end of the day, what will be his measuring stick is Copa America. Yeah. Um, there's gonna there should and hopefully will be a ton of pressure on him and this team to perform. And I get there's a lot that comes with it. Like we get drawn in the same group as Argentina or Brazil that may completely change what the approach may be. Right. Um, Depending on what the draw is into the quarters and the semis that, that can change things. But in an ideal world, we are the third best team in that competition, which means we should win our group. We should advance to the semifinals. Um, And depending on who you get in the semis, who knows, right? Take Argentina, the PKs, maybe you got a chance. Bunker encounter against Brazil. Hell, maybe by that point we're better than than those teams largely. I, I I don't I don't know, but that's his measuring stick. And I think it's it's third place match or kind of bust to me. If if we get eliminated before that at any point in time, I think you got to start asking questions. And in terms of questions, I mean, who who is going to be the manager for the World Cup? Um, and if and if he performs, then 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 you keep him through USA Canada Mexico twenty twenty six and 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 you let it ride, um, but but at the end of the day, I, I'd like the slander to stop. I'd like us to just support the fucking team that that represents the country and and hope hope that we succeed. This shouldn't be a oh, well. I hope we lose now because Burhalter. No, no, no. Let's. Let's advance to the quarterfinals of the World Cup and see what happens from there. I feel like we've been talking about this now for like half an hour. We should probably touch on Diego Coca at some point, but I'll let you have some parting thoughts on Triple G. Uh, I mean, I'm excited for Copa America next summer. Um, the U.S. has played in it, you know, kind of sporadically throughout its existence um, as a number. I mean, Mexico has played in it a ton. Mexico has made two Copa America finals. They've never won it. The U.S.A. is coming fourth twice once in 1995 and then the last time CONCACAF teams played it in the Centario in 2016 when it was also on U.S. soil I think that's the I I agree I I think it's gonna be a really interesting measuring stick for Greg and for the team like I don't know if there are a ton of I mean obviously you have Argentina and Brazil are always you know World Cup winning caliber teams with some of the best players and in Argentina's case the best player of all time I don't know if there are a ton of other, at least at this exact moment, South American teams that are clear and ahead better than us. I mean, a lot of good teams down there, but I don't know if any are like right now. Like, I don't think Uruguay right now or Chile or Ecuador or Colombia or Paraguay are any of those teams out and out better than us. Like, they may beat us on a day, but like, I think any of those matchups are winnable. I mean, Bolivia, Peru, Venezuela are not great teams. I would teams. agree, and we've already proven that whoever makes the tournament from CONCACAF, we can we can kind of take take yeah. on. Um, and again, it's like any tournament. At the end of the day, it's going to be about the draw, and it's going to be and and we can we'll talk about the importance of that when we preview the Gold Cup on Wednesday. Um, episode coming out Thursday for that one. Um, Right, like if you look at the U.S.'s draw in the Gold Cup, like it's very favorable that even with this B team, we can make the final because we won't have to see Mexico or Canada 
until the final should everything kind of occur how we think it will. And the same goes for Copa America. Like, you need some luck, right? I mean, you win your group, but Argentina finishes second. And now all of a sudden you're playing Argentina in a quarterfinal because they shit their pants in the group stage. And then you lose in PKs. Like, I'll I'll give some leeway for some context depending on what happens. But right now at this very moment, I'd agree. I, I believe we're the third best team in that competition. And I believe if the draw goes how it should, we should be making the semifinals and should have a shot to compete to win that title. Whether we do or not is kind of irrelevant. I mean, it's kind of a nothing competition for us other than a chance to see ideally our best 11 in a tournament setting where you have to play four or five, six games consecutively. I mean, this might not be the time for this conversation, but it might I would honestly love to see Copa America be a constant part of the CONCACAF schedule. I I I believe, and I think we've talked about this, at some point the Gold Cup or Nations League is going to have to go away. They're, they're kind of redundant. Like, I love them both because, like, I'm just going to watch as much chaotic soccer as you give me. But, I mean, if you're a casual – like trying to explain to my friends that like don't like really follow soccer, the difference between Nations League and Gold Cup and everything happening and why our squads are split and why a B team is like, like you and I care a lot, but like not a lot do. And I like Nations League a lot as a competition and as a format. I think for for Conmebol, you kind of need the outside one. You need more teams just to fill out the tournament. You only have ten teams in the entire confederation. So just to have a competent competition, you need outside teams joining in. I think they would love the U.S., Mexico, Canada markets in terms of just dollars and eyeballs. And I think for CONCACAF, it gives you a lot more legitimacy and more high-quality games. Like, I love CONCACAF, and I think a lot of teams are on the rise, but, like, playing Panama is a lot different than playing Uruguay or playing, you know, Chile. Well, and what I'm, what I'm in, what I think, you know, what I, this will be in the next cycle is when this will, would likely begin. So CONCACAF already has a contract for the gold cup for obviously this iteration that will start on Saturday and for the 2025 edition, um, two years from now, um, what I'm hopeful will happen or we, we, how how do we do this? It is nine forty. We've been talking for over an hour. Anyway, okay, we're gonna finish this. We're gonna talk about Diego Coca, and we're gonna go the hell to bed. Okay. Anyway, do you want to talk about Paramount Plus? Got to talk about that. Too. Whatever. Maybe we'll just talk the entire evening. What I think will happen is I I believe that be, as the World Cup expands, like World Cup qualifying in its current stage will kind of become pretty obsolete like it won't take very much to qualify i think a lot of these regions are going to change their format so your best teams are playing way fewer games um i think it's gonna it could even potentially get to the point where like the u.s only needs to win like four matches to qualify right and so what i think that will lead to is a CONCACAF nations league that will expand to 16 teams in League A, 
and it'll be very similar to what you see in UEFA, where it'll be four groups of four. You'll play everybody twice, six matches over however long, right? Home and away, top four teams, or hell, CONCACAF may even just say, fuck it, top two, and we'll play the quarters and on in one single site somewhere. I don't know. And then Common Bowl do a similar thing. Two groups of five, play everybody home and away over a period of time. Top two in each group will play for the Common Bowl Nations League title or whatever. And then every two years, you'll see a 16 to 2014 tournament where the Nations League will be used as qualifying for the new Copa America. And it'll just be an expanded version of what we're already seeing. And I think 24 is the magic number to me because the Gold Cup currently has 16. Common Bowl only has 10. And I think that's the kind of a, a perfect number to get kind of maximize how many teams you can get in there. So that means an El Salvador is now going to be playing in a Copa America, uh, Jamaica, Haiti, uh, even a Curacao is going to get a chance to compete at Copa America. And you and I talk regularly about growing the game and how the gold cup expanding to what it is, the women's world cup expanding to what it is, is only good for the sport because the more countries that you have giving a shit about certain competitions, the more the little kids that are going to see it happening, seeing people that look like them playing and the better it's going to be for the sport. And hell at the end of the day, the more money it's going to make both of those regions. Um, so that's what I think is going to happen. I can't guarantee anything because that's, four or five years from now. But that to me is the magic solution. Common Bowl and CONCACAF do their own thing in terms of Nations League that kind of acts as World Cup qualifying experience, if you will, so that the U.S. will still have to travel to a Suriname or an El Salvador or a Honduras on a fairly regular basis um, and still get to play a true inter-confederation competition. But then you you actually get the real test with, with some some good opposition. So even ratings continue. Um, I don't think common bowl will ever do a nations league. It's because their world cup qualifying basically functions as that already. It's just, yeah. everyone plays each other twice home and away because they, they're just perfectly set up as a league. Um, but yeah, no man, interesting stuff to look at moving forward. Uh, Diego Conca. I don't know if I have a ton of thoughts. Cause like, I, I don't know who they're going to hire to replace him. I think he was, I don't think he was a great manager tactically for all seven matches that he was the manager for. I also don't know how much he really could have done with that roster. That's the other thing with Mexico right now. The talent pool just isn't really there like it was in past years. There's no Rafa Marquez. There's no Cuauhtémoc Blanco. There's no Chicharito, Guardado, Herrera. You don't have those top line guys, or at least not as many of them. It's a tough job. They recently just had um a, a new federation president as well, and it was not the dude that hired Coca, so he was probably a dead man walking as it yeah. was. Um, I'll admit that I'm not as tapped into that job search market um as I was with the U.S. So I have no – and not that I had any idea that we were going to rehire Greg. I said it as a joke, and then it ended up happening anyway. So that goes to show what I know. Um, It'll be interesting to see how they handle the gold cup and qualification moving forward. I, I wonder if they go through like a coach or two before we get to the world cup. Um, oh, they're, they're down bad right now. They're in a, they're in a bad situation. They want a gold medal at the Olympics. 
I think it was 2012, like not that long ago. They won and, the Gold Cup four years ago and were easily the most dominant team in that competition. And I'll say their firing of Coca, I think, just speaks to how erratic they. I think they've always been. Um, I mean, they fired their coach, whoever it was, after the 2013 Gold Cup when they had a pretty horrific qualifying campaign. They fired him after the 13 Gold Cup when they lost to Panama in the semis. Hired somebody else who fucked around and found out in the hex, and they ended up finishing fourth thanks to thanks to Graham Zuzzi <laughs> at yeah. Panama, saving their ass on the final day. They fire him and bring in whoever coached him at the 2014 World Cup. He led them through the playoff against New Zealand, coached them at the 2014 World Cup, won the 2015 Gold Cup, and then was fired after the 17 Gold Cup when they didn't make the final and lost to Jamaica in the semis. Yeah. Um, I think they've always been erratic. I think they're the antithesis of what the U.S. is in terms of coaches. Um, they're quick to pull the plug. The U.S., I think, kind of lets stuff linger a little bit longer than they should. Um, but Mexico's always been quick to pull the plug on somebody if they're not hitting whatever their ex whatever they think their expectation should be. Um, Although almost against that trend, Tata Martino, former Atlanta United manager who won the MLS Cup with them, lasted a while. Like he was he on was, the hot seat for a while and he, made it through the World Cup. He was the first, I think, yeah. that at least in my fandom of the U.S. men's national team that I've seen last through some tumultuous times um, because I think any manager after him would have been fired after that 2021 gold cup final. They oh. would have been canned because you can't, you can't basically take one of your strongest teams into a competition, begin the competition with a draw against Trinidad and Tobago kind of eke your way into the final and then lose to a team of nothing but MLS players. Like you can't, uh, and the fact that qualifying hadn't started yet, I was shocked that they kept him around for qualifying who the president was at the time. I'm not a hundred percent sure. I don't like you. I don't keep full tabs on that, but anyway, Mexico's down bad, probably going to be down bad for a while. I don't think there's too, too much else we need to say on that. Right. Do I move on and and close with the uh, Paramount Plus debacle that was this weekend? Um, I, I'd I like to I start have stronger feelings than you yeah. do, but I'll let you start. I thought, I mean, they definitely had some technical difficulties, um, which you know that happens. Um, what really annoyed me the the app is just so poorly designed. At one point. When I was just trying to watch the U.S. game and I would click on, you know, USA versus Mexico and it just took me to CBS News instead. It's just like just the basic functionality of it is really frustrating. I thought and it's, it's disappointing because like during Nations League previously and then during qualifiers, you and I both agreed that like we thought. It was really, really good. I mean, it's a huge step up from Fox because Fox is horrible and Alexi Lawless is clown like you had good voices like clint dempsey gucci on before he got hired by the u.s soccer federation i thought maurice adu was really good throughout the weekend though i mean charlie davies had his moment blaming the 
women's national team for something that was not their fault at all. Um, and then like some of like the sideline reporters were kind of rough. And at one point, I think it was halftime of Canada Panama, and they just went to it was just instead of having analysis of the game, they were trying to do like, oh, like look at the fan atmosphere kind of thing. And it was two people who I've never seen in my life, certainly don't have any soccer credentials, just like drinking alcoholic slushies on camera. And like Kate Abdo's like trying to make awkward jokes about it. And I'm looking at my team like, what is happening right now? As, yeah, it was weird. There were times where like their chemistry just like felt really off, like on site. I don't know. It, it, it was not the best product. I thought it was better on Sunday, but yeah, it was. It was terrible. <laughs> it was terrible. Like it was very, and I get it. I get it. Like the nation, their champions league, Europa league conference league coverage is very good. Their desk is good. Um, the announcers that they kind of pull in the feed from over in Europe are generally very good. Um, like it, it's a good, and it was a great product. Like we talked about during the group stage, yeah. like being able to see all of the matches and the recap shows were pretty good. Um, qualifying I thought was phenomenal. Like I thought they killed World Cup qualifying. And it was disappointing because this wasn't just on Paramount Plus, but a couple of the matches were on CBS Sports Network. Like they were on a quote-unquote national television channel. And it felt like they just didn't care. Like there was no forethought of like how to do things properly. Um, you can st- I'm gonna start from the top. There was no pregame show before Canada and Panama. It it was 10 minutes of them sort of throwing together a couple comments about the match, and then it went right into the broadcast where the audio was seven seconds ahead of what was happening. Um, the scoreboard clock on the on the uh, score bug was eight seconds ahead of the on-field scoreboard clock, which was alarming. Uh, it was about two seconds ahead for USA Mexico, roughly a second ahead for the third place match. And they finally got it together for the final, which at least it was a better product on Sunday when it sort of mattered more, I guess you could say. Um, I thought Charlie Davies was terrible. Um, Clint stumbled over his words with regularity. Um, and having been in that position before, you've been there before. When you've got a producer talking in your ear, it can be pretty challenging. And so Stop it. I don't and he know. he was better Sunday. I thought his analysis Sunday was really good. Right. But th- Thursday to me was such a, a glaringly terrible production from start to – I mean, the, the play-by-play announcer for Canada-Panama sounded like he was talking through a seashell for the first, like, 20 minutes of the match. And I, I get it. I get it. It's not Champions League. It's not – March Madness. This isn't the NBA playoffs. It's not Turner's first priority. I understand that. But to me, like when you buy the rights to something like this, your coverage and your care for that coverage matters. Because I can guarantee you Fox will have an on-site desk for the opening match at Soldier Field of the Gold Cup. They'll have an on-site desk for the final. And even though it'll be Alexi Lalas screaming at you, the production value will be good. You'll get to hear the stylings of Rob Stone, likely. I know it will be. It will be, man. You won't hear John Strong. I thought their World Cup coverage was horrendous. It, I thought it was fine. I'll take Paramount Plus over Fox 
every day. It might be where we disagree. I mean, yeah, they stroked Qatar every other day. Many of their segments were awkward, but like it at least was like decently well produced. The graphics were good. The timing was fine. Their announcing teams were fine. Like they didn't struggle to show fucking replays like Paramount did on so many occasions. Um, I, I I just thought it was it was it was a terrible look, and I get Concacaf doesn't move the damn needle, but like, guys, this is your showcase event for the region, and you handled a League C bout between Guinea and Dominicana better than Mexico versus USA for for the semis. Like it it was just disheartening. It was a letdown, and I get technical issues happen, like. I, I didn't think it was that bad. Although I, what I will say would, I did not love was when the Burhalter news was breaking during the USA Mexico match, they let off the halftime show with that instead of the game. Yep. And like, I get that that's what like drives engagement and stuff, but like we're here to play the game. It's the whole point, right? Yes. And and to me, and they were clearly unprepared. I mean, it, it took everyone by surprise. And I think that played a big part in Davies going on his weird tangent because they weren't ready to analyze that whatsoever. And they just like had such an awkward time handling that. And like obviously you have to address it, but just like from an editorial standpoint, lead with the game. That's what I'm watching here for. Like I want to talk about soccer and then we can talk about the head coach later. That's what that was the most disappointing to me. I I don't know. I I think I think you're overreacting. I think it was fine. I I think moving forward it'll probably be better too. Fox sucks. They don't put any care. All the things you're saying about like putting care into things like. I doubt this women's World Cup is going to be well produced. It may not. All the games will be at three in the morning Eastern. So yeah, that's yeah, that's fair. They may look at it as if they don't need to. But anyway, well, I guess we'll. Uh... Should we end it there? Just we should. I mean, it. for all of our griping, I'm still very happy and excited about how this weekend unfolded. It was a great weekend. Um, be mind. Um, I'm going to take a hot second to before we end the episode to um, just give a shout out to my colleagues at the Hart School at uh, James Madison University. Um, a mentor of both mine and Andy's uh, passed away um, just over a week ago, Dr. Mecca Naza. Um he was somebody that really kind of inspired me and gave me a voice in this industry. Um, got helped me get my start in sports information when I did work on that side, um, and is part of the reason that I've gotten back into academia as a professor and will hopefully get my PhD one day. Um, he loved America. He was an immigrant from Nigeria. He was an Arsenal fan. He and I talked at length about um, the Gunners. Talked at length about the U.S. Men's National Team. Um, a team that he grew to love the longer that he was in America. Um, I will miss him. I hope his soul is at peace. Um, and I just, I just want to uh, send all my thoughts and prayers to um, everybody at James Madison University, which is both of our alma maters. And um, I hope everybody over there is getting the the help and um, help that they need because it's been, it's been a tough couple weeks and um I guess I'll end the episode there on slightly a solemn note. But with that, my name is Don Palumbo with my esteemed and much smarter colleague, Andy Lohman. 
This is because CONCACAF. Have a great day, everybody. See ya. Thank <laughs> you.